Well, good morning, church family, and it's just, uh, it's good to see you. It's good to be in worship with you, and if this is your first time here at Windsor Road, uh, welcome. We're so happy to have you here on this beautiful sunny day. Uh, my name is Randy, and I'm privileged to serve as the lead minister here at the church. Uh, and uh, we are in a teaching series leading up to Easter during this season of Lent. Lent, it's a word that means long, and it refers to the longer days of daylight that come with the springtime. And uh, it's the season that leads up to uh, just a very, very special celebration, Easter. And uh, preparing us for that, we are in a series of messages over the seven deadly sins. And so this morning, we're going to be considering the sin of anger. And uh, I'm so thankful to our worship arts minister, Katie, who has put together a creative arts team, and they have provided just images of each of the themes of the week. And if you'll look at the back here, uh, you'll see that's, that's not a portrait of the senior minister, by the way. Uh, but uh, Thank you. Yes, there we go. <laughs> Got caught right there. So, but we're going to talk about anger this morning. And so to do that, I want us to uh, turn to our scripture reading from the New Testament, uh, the letter of James. If you have your Bibles, I would like you to turn to the letter of James, chapter 1. You'll find that on page 1011, 1011 of your church Bibles. And if you don't have a copy of God's Word, Uh, to call your own. Uh, There are Bibles in the pouch in front of you, and you can just uh, take a copy, put your name in it, and just receive it as a um, gift from this church family. And I'm going to be reading two sections from the letter of James. Uh, James chapter 1, verses 19 and 20, and then James chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Literally, verse 20 sounds like this. For the anger of man does not work. God's righteous cause. That's nuanced, but it's very important that we'll learn later on. The anger of man does not work God's righteous cause. And then in chapter 4, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, Whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit 
that he has made to dwell in us. But he gives more grace. You sit in that for a minute. But he gives more grace. This is God's word. So have you ever been so angry? I mean so mad, so furious, so up to here, so I've had it, that you just want to say every swear word that there is to say for a long time, really loudly, but you don't want anybody else to know that you're the kind of person who would do that. Huh? Well, I found a place for us. In my research, that is, as I was preparing for this message. It's in Germany. There is a call center in Germany. I'm not making this up. It's called Swear Away. Really? For $2 a minute, you can call up a paid operator and just get it all off your chest. I mean, just say whatever it is you want to say, as long as you want to say it, as loudly as you want to say it. They're going to take it at 2 bucks a minute. In fact, these paid operators are kind of trained to, you know, if you're not really... If you're not really doing it the way they would like for you to do it, they'll goad you a little bit. Like this, they'll say, you know, uh, look, I've heard that word three times already. Is that the best you got? You know. The, the owners uh, that kind of concocted this uh, cursing call center explained it this way. They said, you know, we know everybody is stressed, and so instead of taking it out at home or taking it out at work or taking it out with other people, just give us a call. Uh, getting it off your chest by calling us is the best bargain ever. Swear away. So there. The question is this. Uh, does it work? Does venting your anger diminish anger? Does it? Huh. Well, a social psychologist at Ohio State University says, no, it doesn't. Venting your anger really doesn't diminish your anger. In fact, it's just the opposite. Venting your anger actually increases your anger. Uh, his name is Brad Bushman, and he's kind of made it his vocational research area. Uh, going all the way back to 2002, uh, he did a social experiment involving participants, uh, had two groups, and in the first group, he told the participants, okay, I want you to hit this punching bag as hard as you can, for as long as you want to, but while you're doing it, I want you to think of someone that you're angry with. Just flail away, punch away, jab away, hit away. I want you to do that. 
And then he told uh, others in this particular group, uh, I want you to hit the same punching bag, but I want you to think about getting fit. I want you to think about getting healthy. I want you to think about the physical fitness that's developed as you're flailing away at this bag. And then after that, uh, they were given the opportunity to administer loud blasts of noises to people with whom they were angry. And then they were to self-report on how angry they felt, okay? Uh, Both those who ruminated about someone they were angry with, and then those who just simply hit the punching bag and just thought about physical health. And of course, there's a control group for this. It's an experiment, so there's a control group. And in the control group, uh, everything was the same, except there was no punching bag, all right? Guess what Brad found out? You know what's coming. Those who vented their anger actually felt and self-reported an increase in their anger. And those who did nothing were the least angry. It's really interesting, the research on this. Venting anger, ruminating, exploding really is like throwing gasoline on a fire, right? So from Germany to Ohio State, we hear, the, we hear the answer. We have some Buckeye people who are not happy with the Buckeyes today. So from Germany to Ohio State, we, we kind of get the answer to this very important question, which God asked the prophet Jonah in Jonah chapter 4, verses 4 and 9. It's a really important question. Do you do well to be angry? Do you do well to be angry? And I want us to talk about anger in this series on the seven deadly sins. And and church family, I got to tell you, as I was preparing for today... Um, I discovered really smart, really sharp, and really mature Christians uh, who had different perspectives about this anger. And I kind of can put it in two groups. One group said, well, anger is, uh, anger is not a sin if it's good. So you can be angry as long as you're good and angry. And so the quote would be from Mark chapter 3, verse 5, when Jesus was in the synagogue. And, and uh, in Mark chapter 3, verse 5, it's the only verse in the Gospels that ever describes Jesus as angry, even beyond the turning of the tables in the temple. Specifically, technically, the Scriptures don't indicate that he was angry when uh, he was turning over the tables in the temple, but in the synagogue it says he was angry. Why? Because the Pharisees, their hardness of heart, Jesus wanted to heal a man on the Sabbath, and they were just totally against that. And and so the reasoning is, well, Jesus was angry. Jesus is human. You're human. You can be angry. And then uh, this group goes on to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26, In your anger, do not sin, Paul says, or be angry and sin not. So it's okay to be angry, just be good and angry. Just be good and angry. And uh, okay, all right, 
And then there's another group that says, no. No, if you're okay, if you're going to turn to, first of all, you're not Jesus. And second of all, if you're going to look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26, just keep reading. Because Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31 says, let all bitterness and wrath and rage and anger and clamor and slander be removed from you. What does all mean? It means this. All. 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 And, okay. Well, what about the anger that someone feels who's been raped? What about the anger that that someone feels who has been the victim of racial discrimination? Could anger have anything to do with the work of Martin Luther King Jr. and the Civil Rights Movement? Well, what about the anger of Becky Brown? Do you remember Becky Brown? Who in 1980 began a group called Mothers Against Drunk Driving. What's the acronym? MAD. Is there, I mean, aren't we just being dismissive of people when we just... Do you see what I'm saying? Do you see the tension here? You need the, the struggle. And you know, so, you know, which is it, pastor? Is it this group or is it this group? And I mean, can you sort it all out? And can you do it in 30 minutes? <laughs> no. I can't answer every question that you may have about anger in the next half hour. It's just, you know. But I, what I can do this, I can answer about three questions. First, what is anger? What's the meaning of anger? Is there a definition that we can come up with? Yeah, let's talk about that. And then what makes anger so destructive? So James says, but the anger of man does not work God's righteous cause. Well, why is that? What's that about? And then thirdly, how does the gospel deal with anger? How does the gospel, what does God do to eradicate anger? the anger of man. So those are the questions I want us to pay attention to this morning. What is it? What makes it so destructive? And what does God do about it? So that's where we're going today. So let's talk about a definition first. What is anger? I can say it in three words. Here it is. What is anger? That's not right. That's not right. Anger is what you feel when you oppose what you believe is wrong. That's not right. And so anger has many faces. You know, there's irritable anger, kind of a low simmer anger. There's argumentative anger. There's passive aggressive anger. There's self-righteous anger. And there's violent anger. They may have different faces, but it's all the same meaning, isn't it? That's not right. That's not right. Anger sees something, anger sizes it up, and and anger says, that's not right. I'm against that. What are you doing? What do you think you're doing? I don't like that. Did you see the line that you just crossed? Anger is about something that you find offensive, and you want it eliminated, you want it eradicated, you want it destroyed, you want it gone, and all the energy behind all of that, and the, the emotion that comes with it, the passion, that's anger. That's anger. But Anger is more than simply passion because anger is about displeasure, fiery disappointment. And you cannot feel anger about that which pleases you. It's impossible. 
So anger deals with displeasure, which, which means you were paying attention. You were watching. You cared enough. Anger is on our radar because something else was on our radar first, something that you care about, something that you love. Anger is about something that I love. And so anger reveals what's in my heart. And anger reveals who my master is. That's not right. It's about passion. It's about displeasure. And it's always, anger is always a value judgment. Always. Every time you get angry, you make your values known. Anger has been called a moral emotion. And and why not? Do we really want to live in a world without any values whatsoever? Or any value judgments? Why would anyone want to be indifferent to ISIS, terrorists, murderers, rapists, cheats? Really? Our anger is often against people, you know, people in government, people in Congress, people in the Supreme Court, people in the executive branch, Chicago politics, your neighbors, people in your family. Huh? But anger is not always against people. Sometimes we get angry at the weather. And we get angry at animals. We get angry at congested traffic on North Prospect. We get angry at bad ideas, bad referees. Golfers get angry at bad shots. Some of us are angry at God. We see stage four cancer or the effects of F5 tornadoes. And we demand to know, God, why didn't you? God, how could you? God, where are you? Anger. That's not right. That's not right. When it comes to anger, there's no, I've got a friend who has this problem. No, all of us, all of us are that friend. And truth be told, church family, the Bible has more negative things to say about anger than positive things to say. In fact, the very first time that anger appears in the Bible, it's negative. It's in Genesis chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. You must rule over it. Anger is something we need to rule over. Anger has this aggressive drive. Anger is expansive. Anger wants to get bigger. Anger has this explosive potential. Anger wants to burst out. Anger asks confrontational questions. There's a confrontational bent to anger. Anger wants to get tough. And so it investigates. Anger probes. Anger scrutinizes. The socks were not misplaced by accident, nor just by mere carelessness. No, anger says, it was intentional. First degree sock misplacement, anger says. So so anger sees a plot. Anger sees a conspiracy. 
a sock misplacement conspiracy. And so anger attacks. It wants to attack. Anger has this entitled frame of mind. It feels like it has the right to. The right to get tough. The right to rule. Anger wants to rule. But, Genesis 4, verse 7, you must rule over it. So whatever else we have to say about anger... We're going to have to admit that, you know, whatever your, that's not right, is, whatever that is, anger puts you in a, at a fork in the road, forcing this question, who will rule your heart? Who's going to be in charge? Who is going to lead? Who's going to be the master? And that really leads us to our second question, as to what makes it so destructive We got a hint of that in James chapter 4, didn't we? Why anger is so destructive. James is giving us this principle. And it's so important that we get this principle. And let me just explain it. And then we'll read it again and make sure we understand it. Here's the principle. If you want to gain any traction on anger, um, your anger, whatever it is, your that's not right, Whatever it is, your anger is not merely tied to what's going on outside you. Your anger is going on to what's inside you. Not just tied to what's going on outside you. It's tied to what's going on inside you. So, out on Windsor Road, you're making your way to Meyer, And you know, like... Half the road's torn up. Have you noticed that? You've got to get the mire, but there's not four lanes now. There's just two lanes. And so I'm on my way out there, and it's like, come on. The traffic jam. What is going on here? You know, I mean, uh, it, it normally takes me seven minutes to get to mire. Now it takes me nine minutes My, my phone says it should only take seven minutes. It's taking nine minutes. What, is this the best we can do in a superpower? Is, is, really, is that it? There's this traffic jam going on. And, and there's, there's two cars in the traffic jam. And in one car, you know, there's that reaction. What is going on? I, I, I got to get the mire. I got to get the mire. They're running out of the rotisserie chicken. Come on, let's get there. You know, behind me, you know, there's this person having a delightful conversation, smiling and happy. They've got this Bluetooth thing, you know. And they've got several people that they have to talk to, and they're just laughing and smiling. They're just enjoying it. They're just kind of checking off their list. Same situation, two different responses. Why is that? Why is that? It's this right here. It's, it's that whenever you're angry, it's not just what's going on outside you. It's what's going on inside you. James says in chapter 4, verse 1, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? 
Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? Notice James didn't say that your passions are at war among you. No, 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 no. No, the fights and the quarrels among you, what are they tied to? Your passions within you. You'll never gain traction on anger if you don't understand this. It's so, it's so important. It, it, your anger may be triggered or, or initiated by outside events, but your anger is cherished and interpreted and loved and treasured by what's going on inside your heart. Always, 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 James says. James chapter 4. Anger is about a war within. Anger is about a war that involves our desires and our pleasures and our passions. There's a war for the control of your heart in every situation of your life. And it's a war between my desire and God's desires. Between what God wants and what I want. And whatever is ruling your heart will be revealed when you get angry. Here's what I mean. Why did water come out of this bottle? Why did water? Why did water come out of this bottle? Let me ask it this way. Why did water come out of this bottle? Because water was inside the bottle. Because water was inside the bottle. See, when your heart gets stirred, things come out. What's coming out of your heart? You see what I'm saying? Tonight about 9.30, there should be quiet in the house because the kids should be asleep. But there's not. There's giggling. There's laughing. There's standing at the door edge saying, can I go to the bathroom? Can I get a drink? Or can I do this? Can I do that? And you get up out of your easy chair and you're just inflamed because the kids should be in bed by now. And you want to watch your movie. There will be blood. So you march down the hallway, and that's what you're thinking. You say, you say to the kids, do you know what I do for you? Do you understand the sacrifices that I make for you? Who puts food on the table? Who buys your clothes? Who purchases your school supplies? I do that. I don't ask for much. I just want kids from earth. That's all I want. That's all I want. And, 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 you know, and, you know, while you're just venting, you know, what are they doing? They're sitting there going, 
oh my, this is helpful. I want to be a dad just like him. Right? No, they're not, are they? Now, now what's going on there? Huh? What, what's happening in that scenario? Well, you know, the, 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 mom and dad's angry, but not just because of what's going on outside them. Not just because. It's not simply because our children can be immature and therefore need the loving, graceful, corrective, merciful discipline of patient parenting. You know, that's, that's not it. it. I'll tell you what it is. It's because in that very moment, your child's sin stepped into what you were craving. Our anger is not just attached to what's going on outside of us, but what's inside of us, what's going on in our heart. And our anger happens far too often, not because others have broken God's law, but because they've broken your law in your kingdom. Yeah. And I don't know what your law in your kingdom looks like, but I know what law in the kingdom of Randy looks like. You see, in the kingdom of Randy, King Randy wants stores with no lines. King Randy wants streets empty of other cars. King Randy wants green lights at every intersection. King Randy wants parking at the front of the door. And King Randy wants a space on either side of his car so that every other crazy person won't ding his doors. King Randy wants restaurants with open tables. King Randy wants business to have whatever he enjoys. I want that. I want, I want people to agree with me. I want Sarah to say my three favorite words. You're right, Randy. You're right, Randy. You're right, Randy. And see, now when she says that, I'm saying, oh, you're just being sarcastic. You're right, Randy. <laughs> you don't really mean that. You're right, Randy. You're right, Randy. I want. 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 In Randy's puny little kingdom of one. Newsflash, God has not made this world to satisfy what I want. God made this world to satisfy his good and pleasing and perfect will. And left unchecked, my wants absolutely guarantee my anger. They will just absolutely guarantee it because you see, you see, I want becomes I must, which becomes I will, which becomes you should, which becomes you didn't, which becomes you're going to pay. You see how that works? Desire morphs into need, morphs into demand, morphs into expectation, 
morphs into disappointment, morphs into anger. And my desires, I, I've been talking about really trivial desires. Your desires can even be good desires. I mean good desires. But good desires become bad desires when we elevate them to God-like status. And your good desires are good, but they make lousy deities. And maybe that explains why we get angry too easily. We get angrier than we should. Or stay angry for too long. Of the seven deadly sins, really. In many ways, I think anger is possibly the most fun. We get to lick our wounds and smack our lips over grievances long past. To roll our tongue over the prospect of bitter confrontations still to come. Savoring that last toothsome morsel. Both of the pain you are given and the pain you're going to get to pay back. And in many ways, one has written... Anger is a feast fit for a king. But here's the deal. The chief, the chief drawback is this. What you are wolfing down in anger is yourself. The skeleton at the feast is you. And I've I've lived through this, and I've been that skeleton. Um, and in our church, our church is led and governed by a godly team of elders who have, in the past, had, had to sit down with the senior minister and have a frank discussion about his anger. And that is an act of grace because they love me enough and they, um, you know, believe in my leadership enough that they want to see me be a better leader, a better Randy, a better servant, a better pastor. And about five years ago, they had to do that. And that was a gift from God to me. And if you have people in your life who can sit down across the table and have an honest discussion about a very important issue like this, you are rich. You are rich. And that is a thing of grace. And I think that's why James says in James chapter 4 verse 6, but he gives more grace. He gives more grace. Now, what does that look like? What does that kind of grace look like? Well, God gives us His grace to eradicate the anger of man by means of His anger. See, God gives grace in a world gone mad through anger. 
Because he has an anger too. And we've simply talked about our anger to this point. Let's consider his anger. God's anger is redemptive. God's anger makes things better. God's anger attacks whatever threatens his relationship with us. God's anger is patient, and God's anger is sacrificial. And the Bible is a story of anger, a story of a war between two angers, the anger of man and the anger of God, anger from below versus anger from above. You see, God is love, and God's will is good and pleasing and perfect. God wants his holy way. God wants his will done on earth as it is in heaven. And when that doesn't happen, God says in no uncertain terms, that's not right. That's not right. Well, that's anger, but God's anger is not the venting of a moody deity. God's anger is his measured, determined opposition to evil. And all throughout the Bible, you can see this struggle between the anger of man and the anger of God. And these two angers come to a timely collision in an event which the Apostle Peter speaks of in Acts chapter 2. In Peter's sermon in Acts chapter 2, Peter deals with the question, why did Jesus go to the cross? And Peter says that Christ was driven to the cross by angry men who wanted their way. That's why. Acts 2.23, this Jesus you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Man's anger drove Christ to the cross. Angry men wanting their own selfish way drove Jesus to the cross. And they stand for every one of us who's ever wanted our way. The anger of man put Jesus on the cross. But that's not the whole story. Peter says that Christ went to the cross by the definite plan of God. In that very same verse, Acts 2.23, Peter says, This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. So it wasn't just the anger of man that put Christ on the cross. It was the anger of Almighty God. Not the irritable emotions of a moody God, but the God who knew beforehand where his anger would go and where his anger would end. God made an appointment with his anger. God scheduled a time and a place where his hot, holy anger would land, and it was on his own son on the cross. Man's unrighteous, self-centered, self-serving anger collided with God's pre-planned, holy, loving, merciful anger, and ground zero was Christ crucified. And Jesus said the very same things that you say when you are angry with God. Where were you? How could you? Why did you let this happen? Those questions are in Christ's cry from the cross. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? And it was such a powerful collision that nature itself convulsed. Darkness from noon to three. Scripture says, and behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, heaven to earth. And the earth shook and the rocks were split. And what we must understand is this Angry, violent, pre-planned collision of grace 
was for you. It was for us. It was God's beautiful and righteous anger on display for us. God said, that's not right. Being separated from my people, that's not right. I'm against that. And so God's insistence on his righteous cause led him to sacrifice his son for us. And Jesus received God's holy anger as a sacrifice. Christ was punished for us as our substitute. He took God's anger upon him so that we would not receive it. Praise his name. That's why the Apostle Paul says in Romans 3, 23 to 25, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Verse 25, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood. What is that word, propitiation? Oh, here it is. You already know. We've already talked about it. Propitiation is a sacrificial offering that diverts the wrath of God from you to the offering. Guess who our offering is? Jesus. Jesus. And we receive this by faith. You see, God's anger is beautiful. God's anger is our hope. In fact, if you don't remember anything else, please remember this. God's anger is your only hope for heaven. It's your only hope for heaven. That's what the cross is for. It was meant to produce a whole new culture. Uh, it was meant to transform selfish human anger to holy zeal. A church zealous for the beauty of Christ. In Christ, God has freed us from the slavery that leads to evil anger. And we rise up with a holy zeal for the Lord because we have been caught up in his holy cause. And so we see poverty in our community and through the Holy Spirit living inside of us, we say, well, that's not right. We see people who are food insecure or under-resourced and the Holy Spirit just wells up inside of us. And we say, that's not right. And so we go out and we get bags. and We fill those bags with food so that our food pantry can, can overflow the zeal of God in meeting needs with love. We, we see the needs in the Dominican Republic and Haiti and Rwanda and Peru and Nepal. And we say, that's not right. God, use me. I want to serve. We see needs for servants on this very campus here. In our children's ministry and student ministry and guest services ministry. And we say, that's not right. I can be used. God, use me. And we see people who have hurt us. And even through tears, we say, 
It's not right that toxic anger would eat me into a skeleton. I will forgive. Oh God, help me forgive. I will will eat the debt because Christ ate the debt for me. I will forgive as I have been forgiven. Lord, I want more and more and more of what you want. William Willimon is a pastor and he tells of a conversation he had um, in Belfast, Ireland with a hard-working, devout Christian lady who did much good among the poor in that city. She was a widow. She had recently remarried. And William, William Willimon asked her when her husband died. And she replied, well, it was 10 years ago that he was murdered. He said, murdered. She said, yes. She said, I kissed my husband on the cheek as he left the house for work one morning. Our wee little daughter was at my knees, and as he got into his car in front of our house, another car pulled off, pulled up, and two men emerged, and one shot him five times in the face. And then they sped off. Paramilitaries they were, the IRA. She said, my husband was a superintendent of a local jail, so he was considered a fair target. And William Williman said, well, that's just terrible. That's horrible. She said, yes. She said, they shot him up so bad that we were not even able to let his dear mother see him before the burial. And then the question, how on earth were you able to to go on? And then she said this. Here it is. She said, the Lord gave me this wonderful gift. And here was the gift. The gift was, I let God be angry with them. I let God be angry. I let God be angry with them. I let God punish them or forgive them or whatever it was that the Lord chose to do with them. I just chose to go along with what he wanted. I chose to forgive. I mean, these gunmen killed one of the most wonderful men in the world. And none of them was ever convicted for the crime. But my anger was no match for God. God would not let the anger of it all kill me. There it is. The anger of God is our only hope, church. At the cross, God has redeemed anger by inflicting His anger in a collision of grace with the anger of man. God put his son to death on the cross so that in his death, burial, and resurrection, we might surrender our anger to his and allow the Holy Spirit's emotions and the Holy Spirit's feelings and the Holy Spirit's passions take center stage so that the glory of Christ might be seen in and through us. And now I have a one-sentence prayer. Would you bow your heads? Oh God, let the design of your great love 
shine on the waste of our wraths and sorrows. Through Jesus. Amen.